This is the Cover 2 Podcast with Don Banks and Nick Stevens. Brady on the deep drop, stands in, fires down the middle. Ford Gronkowski makes the grab at the 45, spinning away from defenders. He's gone to the 20, to the 10, to the 5, to the end zone. The Cover 2 Podcast on Patriots.com. The play fake and the throw to the end zone for Antonio Brown. Touchdown, Pittsburgh. Nobody covers the NFL like the guys from Cover 2. Eight different receivers have caught a pass from Matt Ryan today. He's looking to throw again. Wide open, Julio Jones has it. And in the end zone, touchdown, Falcons. Now, Don Banks and Nick Stevens. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Cover 2 Podcast with Banks and Stevens. I'm Don Banks, joined once again by Nick Stevens. Nick, week one of the preseason in the books, and man, do we have topics to chew on today. As well as, as promised, we're going to have Matt Hasselbeck, the ESPN NFL analyst, former, let's get this right, former Packers, Seahawks, Titans and Colts and Boston College Eagles quarterback. I was going to say, uh, also, let's not sleep on the fact local heroes, Zavarian Brothers, Boston right. College. So that name carries a lot of weight in these parts, and not just because he's part of ESPN's 280-hour fantasy football <laughs> preview spectacular this week. Former, uh, his father, former P- Patriots tight end as well, mm-hmm. Don Hasselbeck. A lot of good local roots there as well. Yep. So Matt's going to join us. I think he's got a Sports Center hit. He's got to get out of the way. But he's going to be with us in the middle of our podcast today. But for a week one in the preseason, um, the news came fast and furious. But there's nothing quite like, for me, the overreaction that brings the bring, that fans bring out after week one of the preseason. I, I used to think that overreaction week was week one of the regular season. But now... You have to put week one of the preseason right up there because we can't wait all the way to the regular season. I know some of my favorite overreactions uh, fall under the uh, the phrases are, are, are year after year time worn. It's like, well, he passed the eye test for me. Which one, which one do you like? I've always been a big fan of, whoa, man, look at he really jumped right off the screen right there. He That talent flashes. He really popped. How about the... Uh, yeah, he flashed. That's that's one I think in the last ten years he really flashed for me, you know. Or he he has you brought up the uh, that's that's Thursday night with yeah. Sunday talent. When, yeah, when they they like they talk about in college, like he's got, looks like he's gonna make he's got some Sunday talent right there. Hearing on a Thursday night meaningless week one game, like I'll tell you, they're playing the game on a Thursday, but this guy right here looks like he's got some Sunday talent. Well, we've all used the nebulous and vague it factor as mm. well. And I just saw the it factor. Uh, I, I can't tell you what it is, but he's, he's had it. it. Yeah, I love that one too. Well, there were plenty of overreactions in week one, um, but I have to admit, the rookie quarterback crop has to be front and center. They look good. They did look good. Uh, and I'm, I'm talking about Mitch... Trubisky in Chicago. I'm talking about Deshaun Watson in Houston. Talking about Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City and Deshaun Kaiser in Cleveland. I was going to add Deshaun Kaiser. I want to make sure I I was duly impressed. Now listen, it doesn't take a lot to look like the hottest chick in Cleveland, but I thought Deshaun Kaiser really looked good. And and look, what is he fighting his way through? He's got to push his way past Cody Kessler to challenge. I, I, 
Brock Osweiler. Yeah. And the captain check down. Brock got his shot. It's, it yep. appears to be over already Oof, for Brock. Boy, how about that? I thought Kaiser looked good, too. But I, I, to be honest, Trubisky, to me, looked the best. Now, again, going back to our reaction, mm-hmm. he had been in for like two minutes, and people were saying they had finally found their Sid Luckman, their next Sid Luckman. It's been that long in Chicago. So, like, slow down on us. Mike Glennon, though. <laughs> Mike Glennon did not put his best foot forward. His first pass of the night, what happened? I forget. Oh Well, Mike Glennon, I thought it was really a, a, a deferential move on his behalf to pay Cutler to, to pay respect to Jay Cutler with, to throw a pass off his back foot uh, into triple coverage a, for a pick six to Chris Harris. It I was an homage. Was, it was an homage. It really was. It's a great way to let the fans know you understand what was here before. And history. Yeah, you're, history really, you're, 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 you're a student of history as well. In, in all honesty, Trubisky did, I mean, he looked poised. He knew where to go with the football. I thought he delivered it with a nice sense of timing. and, and Moved and, well, too. Yeah, he moved well. Now, I want to say it's week one of the preseason. He probably was facing a Denver defense that did not throw their most uh, creative schematic look at him so don't go all Leonard Fournette and say wow that was easy that moved a lot slower than I thought it would that would have been funny if Trubisky actually like well I gotta tell you the speed of the ACC (laughs) really is so much better than the speed of the NFL look Denver twos and threes on defense though are still probably better than a lot of the ones and twos that you may see around the rest of the NFL but Trubisky was he eight and four last year he actually has been the subject of two waves of overreactions this year don because he was the king of the overreactions exactly night one of the nf night one of the nfl preseason and when he was taken number two overall the panic and the the joking on social media what are the bears doing people literally screaming at their phones draft parties where people walked out for the bears and look who looked the best on night one yeah you know and let's remember he was a one-year starter okay so now you're talking a one-year collegiate starter with one preseason game under his belt so temper 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 those expectations but you have to admit Mike Glennon already had that look like he can see the future he knows where this is coming where this is going and he knows knows how this is going to end and it's not well for him it's basically a one-year deal that Glennon's playing on and I think it ain't going to get to one year it's not going to get to one year (laughs) not as a starter listen you can pay me 14 and a half million dollars to watch Mitch Trubisky play football I think I also would be remiss if I didn't mention Mitch Trubisky wins Week one preseason overreaction and Mitch Trubisky wins best football name, period. And the most Chicago football name, Mitchell Trubisky. I mean, it's a good fit. I think John Gruden was born saying that name. It is a good fit. And, you know, I I think a a few props to uh, Deshaun Watson in Houston as well. To me, that I look at these guys and I'm thinking, I'm not sure how long it's going to take. But Trubisky's going to be the starter at some point soon, I believe, in Chicago. I think Watson is going to beat out Savage. And I think maybe for lack of a better option, Deshaun Kaiser is going to be the number one at some point soon in Cleveland. Mahomes, who also had a nice debut, mm-hmm. just got bumped from number three to number two on the a, Chiefs' depth chart. Gun. He's got an arm and a half. He's not going to be the quarterback anytime soon, as I think Alex Smith is going to ride this out this year. But he he flashed as mm-hmm. well mm-hmm. for the Chiefs. He showed a little uh, athletic ability, classic roll roll right, throw mm-hmm. back across his body, somehow into the end zone, things you're not supposed to do, and it was a touchdown for Kansas City. So pretty good starting debut for the rookie quarterback class 
of 2017. Well, the other huge story, obviously, came down last Friday was the uh, Ezekiel Elliott suspension. And I think this is a drama. I hate to say it, but I think this thing is, is going to go a long, long time. I think we're looking at a months-long drama. I think there's going to be a legal fight, obviously the appeal of his suspension. And then here we go again. And my hope is we're not looking at another Bounty Gate and Ray Rice saga and Deflate Gate where the league did not cross every T and dot every I because they need to be 100% right on this one uh, for their own credibility's sake. Right. They've been battered and chastised and criticized in every other eyes for the past couple of years over the way they've handled every Greg Hardy, Ray Rice, Tom Brady, everything drags out ad nauseum. Now they just need to make this short, sweet, and succinct. Do you think, A, that this gets knocked down from six to four, and B, are you with me on my sort of reverse hot take that this actually can be to Dallas's benefit? I do agree that it's going to get knocked down. I don't know if it's four or even less than that, but I do think it'll get reduced. I think the league built that into the equation. It wanted to go to the six-game baseline that they established but didn't seem to ever live up to um, after the Ray Rice uh, saga instituted new guidelines in the personal conduct policy. I hear you and that this is going to save wear and tear on Ezekiel Elliott mm -hmm. and maybe later in the year when the Cowboys really need him. But I'm not underestimating um, how much this could hurt them. Let's say it is six games. Let's say it doesn't get knocked down. That's significant to not get him in the lineup until mid-October. I'm interested in asking Matt Hasselbeck this as well. I think it could significantly impact their start, which might put them behind the eight ball all season long, and maybe they don't have that that record to really drive for a playoff seed uh, when it matters. Be interesting in a very crowded NFC East, which I think is going to be one of the two most competitive divisions in the NFL this year. Be interesting to see if this is where Vincent and Goodell and company decide, OK, we're not going to do any more of these reductions just because you file you know, an honorary complaint, just because you look for the token appeal. We don't just give you a game or two back. We're going to stick to it and keep him out six games. The reason why I think it could be to Dallas's benefit is proving that they can win without him after they relied on him so heavily last year and knocking those 100 to 150 carries off his legs so that when Dallas does need him the most, they can lean on him. Remember, he wasn't a very big part of Dallas's come-from-behind loss against Green Bay in what was the most entertaining of all the divisional games last year in the playoffs. And if you look at Dallas's schedule, Don, to kick it off, Home Giants, at Broncos, at Cardinals, home Rams, home Packers, at Niners. That's a four. That's four a four. And, that's that's a four and two schedule for them. It, and but there's, I hear four challenging games in there. And Giants, Broncos, Cardinals, and Packers. Yeah. Yeah. I I hear four challenging games, and that's why I think. Look, if let's say Dak Prescott, um, let's say defenses throw different looks at him. Let's say that he's not as comfortable carrying the offensive load without Zeke behind him. If Dallas gets off to the two and four surprisingly weak start, um, they're digging out of a hole. You know, the Giants are a team I believe could take that division this year. I'm buying the Giants. And if that Giants are four and two or five and one, Dallas is behind an eight ball, people are gonna point to Elliott and wonder what might have been. Now that's under the six game scenario. We don't know. Um this thing might get tied up for so long, Nick, that you know, he's not going to miss anything as the appeal goes on. And, you know, who knows? If if the league appoints an arbitrator 
Um, you know, all bets are off. Remember, the Ray Rice sentence was eventually lessened. Mm-hmm. The Saints' bounty gate, Tagliabue overturned part of that. So um, if the league, if it goes to outside arbitration, uh, this is going to be a very interesting story. But I don't think it's going away anytime soon. It certainly sounds like the Elliott's camp is braced for a legal fight, and the NFLPA is right there behind him. Yeah, and the big take last week, everyone couldn't believe how upset Jerry Jones was. Uh, regionally, everyone around here was saying, well, Jerry, you know, you backed uh, the commish during Deflategate, so he didn't he didn't curry any local favor up in the Northeast. But the the take the I remember the the tweet was that you know Jerry Jones is is said to be furious. Furious. Well, what's he supposed to be? Yeah. What like he just found out his star running back got taken away for three eighths of the upcoming season, uh, and a team the Cowboys, the most valuable franchise in football, uh, marquee team with playoff Super Bowl aspirations. What's he supposed to be happy? He also went out on the rhetorical limb repeatedly and mm-hmm. said he did not see any evidence of domestic violence and that he saw no need for a suspension. He said that face to face. I was watching him say it in right. Canton at his press conference the Friday afternoon of Hall of Fame weekend. So. He basically <laughs> uh, – I'm about to make a Jerry Jones face joke. He lost face. Mm-hmm. Um, um, he's had a little work done over the he's years. He's lost a little face over yeah. time, yeah. So he basically had to kind of swallow hard and and say that he was completely wrong and misread the situation. And I believe the league, you know, they wanted to brace him for suspension. He did not get the memo, apparently. Mm. And I hate to say it, but I don't think Ezekiel Elliott did himself any favors being involved in other altercations no. that necessarily had never helped. Didn't lead to the suspension, but also a little probable cause may have factored into what the league did. It's just a bad, you know, it's just a bad look. Sometimes you wonder. Sometimes when all of the the accrual of all the different things, uh, Dez being late, now you got Zeke involved in uh, fights and a suspension. When does all of that, you've seen enough teams on the road, you've covered enough teams over the past couple of decades, when do you see the weight of expectations and off-field transgressions get the better of a team? Well, <laughs> I mean, some teams, I think, crack under expectations very early in the season. If they're not really ready to take that step, the maturity level, you know, there's something to be said for when a, when a team surprises and overachieves, but then the next year when everybody's looking at them from the start and when the spotlight is trained on them, a lot of teams kind of spit the bit in that situation. I think we're looking at a Tennessee and a Tampa Bay in that lens this year. Mm-hmm. We're looking to see, okay, 9-7 and seven is a nice hopeful step, but now when everybody's expecting you to win and you're not sneaking up on anybody, what do you do? Um, and I think that's, you know, remember, last year at this time, expectations were incredibly low for Dallas. Nobody right. understood where the defense was going to come from. How was Rod Marinelli going to patch up all the holes they had defensively? And then Romo goes down, and they're going to have to start a rookie quarterback. The expectation was, you know, oh, goodness, another 4-12 and 12 could be down the pikes. Well, look what they did. They overachieved dramatically. That is not the same scenario. That will not be the vibe this year. Obviously, this is now a team seen as Super Bowl contender-worthy. Uh, I'm not sold on that. I thought even before the Elliott suspension that Dallas was due a pretty good course correction in in reverse, and I was not picking them for the playoffs. I still may not. Uh, You talk about uh, how is Rod Marinelli going to figure things out defensively for Dallas. What's going to be the answer? Two words, Don. Taco Charlton. All right.
You're a big taco guy. I'll tell you who I'm also in on. Oh, I would like to add this now. Uh, well, I'm, I mean, am I a big taco guy? I mean, does does the sun rise? Is beer good? Is Aren't we all Catholic? big taco guy? But easily five best names in the NFL. I'll tell you who I would like to have gotten in on as well in the week one overreactions. T.J. Watt. T.J. Watt, there's another, like, Two wow, sacks. really jumped off the screen. Oh, boy, the Watt lineage really show, shines right there for you. Yeah, he he looked good, and that could be that could be the infusion of talent up front that Pittsburgh needs to bring their defense, albeit under a different scheme, not under Dick LeBeau any longer, to back to the level that we expect with that team, to well, complement that offense. How long have they been searching for that outside pass rush? You know, they've been taking linebackers galore, hoping that they can find that double-digit sack guy. And this is a team that's – their sack leader has been, you know, six-and-a-half, seven-and-a-half, mm-hmm. eight-and-a-half. Right. Sometimes Cam Hayward, mm-hmm. a James Harrison, a 39-year-old James Harrison. Mm-hmm. T.J. Watt looked like he had that burst around the edge, and he did look like the real deal. And his last name is going to get him plenty of attention. But, yeah, he outperformed the other Watt easily. Right. He did. Kevin Green's not walking through that door anytime soon. Well, maybe not Kevin Green, but a facsimile with a name that carries a lot of weight in the NFL. He yep. looked good. I thought, yeah, one of the other big stories, and this is an AFC East story, but the Buffalo trades, that really came out of left field. It really shocked a lot of people who watched the league, who fought the league, obviously Bills fans. It had that whiff of we're tanking on the 2017 season. They trade away Sammy Watkins, their lead receiver, Uh, Ron Darby, one of their starting cornerbacks, and suddenly you look up. And they traded Cardell Jones two weeks back. Yeah, they did. He was excess baggage as, like, their fourth quarterback. But you look up now, and they have made a clear decision to play for a very talented 2018 draft. Two firsts, two seconds, two thirds. This is a team that has decided they're going to rebuild under new coach Sean McDermott, new general manager Brandon Bean, I like the moves. And again, I like any team, just as I did with the Jets, who says we can go 5-11 and 11 with these guys, we can go 4-12, and 3-13 without them. Why not, if you don't think they're part of the answer, get capital for them and try to rebuild? Your thoughts on the Bills uh, dismantling? Well, you know what division you already play in, so it's, it's the highly contested race for the silver medal and maybe a wild card spot at best. You told me before the podcast, too, that you saw that graphic about how, what is it, 14? 14 Bills, Bills draft, draft picks from the last five seasons, from 12 to 16. 14 different draft picks for the Bills are playing with other teams at the moment. So they're doing something right, but they're just not doing it the right way. They're picking pretty good players. They're picking pretty good players. They just didn't know how to either develop them, get the most out of them, or hang on to them when they needed to. Or convince them to stay in, you know, Buffalo. Right. But this is everybody from, you know, Kiko Alonso uh, to Gilmore. Um, now now these two other names, E.J. Manuel. They've just, they have Cardale shipped. Jones. Mike Gillisley is now going to be the starting running back in New England. They've shipped a lot of talent out. The, the They basically airlifted the 2016 wide receiver, starting wide receiver tandem for Buffalo into Los Angeles to try to expedite the offensive learning curve Robert for Woods. Goff, yeah. Woods, and, and Watkins. Yeah, They basically said, Doug Whaley, thanks for your service, yep. and we're ending your chapter mm-hmm. in our uh, franchise history right now. Right. I do like the moves. I actually think they're more shrewd than tanking. But again, this now turns the AFC East 
maybe you think the Bills have a method to this madness. I, In any scenario, I don't see them saying this helps us compete in 2017. I can't imagine that the Bills think that they have a chance to win the division title this year. Knowing who's in front of them, I don't even think that they're going to finish that. I think that this is a third-place team. Right. You know, the— Miami has, I think Miami has more starting talent. Cutler may work well with Gase. I think that's what we have to look forward to most in week two is if Cutler actually gets any action with Miami as well. But Buffalo making a play saying, all right, we have enough here to stay competitive and be watchable, and we know who the Bills fans are, and the Bills Mafia wouldn't give up on this team or any other version. Temper your expectations and come next year in 18, 19, 20, maybe once Brady finally becomes a human, they'll be stacked, racked, and ready to rock and compete in the AFC East with all those draft picks in 2018. Well, this this does one thing to me. It's Bell's patience is going to be necessary in giving McDermott and Bean time. And obviously, the Bills have churned through a couple coaches, two years for Rex Ryan, two years for Doug Marone. They've had a history of guys going in there, Mike Malarkey, lasting, uh, Greg Williams, lasting a very short period and gone. Mm-hmm. I think Buffalo finally needs to fully commit to this new regime and give them time. Um, maybe three years is the most you can possibly give any uh, tandem coaching GM in the league these days. But I do believe that this this signals that they're going to have patience with their new regime. Speaking of patience, mm-hmm. Roberto Aguayo, we hardly knew ye. Oh, are we at the in memoriam segment? I this is the in memoriam segment of this week's cover two. I am really surprised that Tampa Bay did the right thing and cut bait on their second-round kicker of 2016. It was clear it was not working, but I really thought that Pride uh, would keep Jason Lick, the general manager, from making this call. But he stepped up and he made it, and uh, Mr. Aguayo is now a Chicago Bear. Let me be the the worst guy in all of football podcasting. Well, you know what, Don? It does make for a great storyline as we head into week two of Hard Knocks training camp with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Can't wait. He's going to get the axe. I think Dur- it's going to – I can't wait. To, I, can't, I can't believe – there are a lot of things I can't believe about myself as fan, as constant consumer of football, that it was a Monday afternoon and I was sitting on my sofa in Cape Cod and I was watching Brown – was it? Who the Browns play? It was Brown Saints. I was watching. I'm such an addict. I was watching a replay of Brown Saints on the NFL right, Network. And I was loving it. That's sad. Security. Uh, but also the fact that this Aguayo storyline is going to be so compelling that we're going to watch this. That we're all like, oh, when yeah. do we normally care that a second year kicker gets cut? Second round kicker. That's the key. That it was the trade up for him. It was the draft. It would, this would be like if Trubisky was. A tire fire, yeah. and we'd all be having the same sort of schadenfreude now. I'll tell you what. He's no Sebastian Janikowski. He, uh, is there any other, though? Sebastian Janikowski is the only actual human video game character slash Schwarzenegger movie villain to be a professional football I, Look, I went out to Oakland and did a story on, on Seabass last offseason. He's, he's awesome. He is tremendous. First of all, he's 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 got a worldview like no one else. He's got his own mojo. But, you know, he went through hell as a rookie kicker coming in the first round mm-hmm. in way back in 2000, the Tom Brady draft, um, and almost got cut himself, missed some big kicks, and was under all kinds of heat and had maturity issues and off-field issues. Here he is still standing, still kicking. I asked him about Aguayo last year. I said, you, you know, were you surprised? First of all, another Florida State kicker, just right. like Seabass. 
And he said, look, I'm rooting for the kid. I know how hard it is because you have a target on your back and because you have a spotlight on you being taken that high. I theorize there'll never be another kicker now taken as high as the second round. People are going to remember Roberto Aguayo, Aguayo and say, not me, I'm not, I'm not biting and being Jason Lick uh, modern day. I'm sure Dirk Cutter, Dirk Cutter watched him kick for about three days and said, no, I just I can't have this many wobbly ducks going through. And, I, and I'll even posture this, that going forward, you know, like when a, you become famous for something so much, like let's say I was to be watching a baseball game, reach out and knock it away from the fielder, you'd say, oh, come on, Stevens, you just bartman that ball. Exactly. To now be a high draft pick kicker and not make a team. You'd be a guayod. You'd be a guayod. You just yeah. got a guayod. Yeah, and I, you don't want to be a catchphrase in any way, shape, or form. Oh, it's such. It's it's got. And now, and where did he go? To the Bears. Well, and that's beautiful. Isn't Following it? Connor Barth, the former Buccaneers kicker. The Why kid, can't Barth shake this guy? The kid couldn't kick in sunny Tampa. Now he's going to windy, cold Chi Town. Good luck with that, Roberto. A patient fan base too. I'm sure they'll have all. I'm sure they'll wait for. I'm sure they'll really be rooting for him. And of course, no cold wind or, or inclement conditions in Chicago. Uh, this is a disaster waiting to happen. Mm -hmm. He actually missed an extra point in the Bucks preseason opener and said he was unlucky. He actually stood up after the game and said he was unlucky because I believe it clanked off one of the the uprights. You got to nail the extra point, and if you miss it, you don't you don't claim misfortune. You claim mishitting it or something. So I think that helps seal his fate. But it's unbelievable that he's now sentenced to Soldier Field, which is one of the most challenging. I mean, Robbie Gold made it look easy for years, for but it's decade, not yeah. because that is a that is a very tricky wind tunnel of a stadium. And Roberto Aguayo is now, back now, as you pointed out, once again competing with Connor Barth uh, for a starting job in this league. Um, I think we're close to Matt Hasselbeck, but he's not quite there yet. So one thing I did want to touch on quickly, the, um, the Lynch-Bennett anthem story. Uh, we've mm -hmm. talked this one, I think, uh, at length. But here's what I'm surprised about. I think a lot of people really felt like with Kaepernick out of the league, the effect was over. The story was over. I, I think with Marshawn Lynch and Michael Bennett, this story is now going to be with us throughout the 2017 season. Surprised at that? Not at all. No? Not in the least bit because there were plenty of players last year, of course, who did it during Kaepernick's time. I think they were just looking for somebody to make it acceptable or to be okay. They were looking for a standard bear, somebody to go out there and break the ice for them. And now I think you'll see guys like that. Now, Michael Bennett has never shied away from a microphone and never not been outspoken, pardon the double negative. Same goes for Marshawn Lynch, just in his own unique beast mode way. We don't even really know. We don't. We haven't heard from Marshawn what he was. Not going to hear much from him either. What know. he was going to accomplish with that. Um, I wonder if at some point he's going to stand if he feels like standing mm -hmm. and he's going to sit if he feels like sitting. What's interesting is they found proof both ways in the past that he hasn't always stood for the anthem. And it's sometimes he did. Um, right. So we don't know exactly if Marshawn was just being Marshawn mm -hmm. or if this was he was trying to tie into the protest that Kaepernick uh, led. In any way, do you believe this helps broaden the scope and the focus? And it's not just on Kaepernick now. It's on other headline name players. Agreed. And therefore, 
Maybe someone takes a, a fresh look at Kaepernick being signed. He's not the only sole focus of this particular issue. I think we may need a little more time before we review and render judgment on how many protests we'll get during 2017, who's doing it and why, because it's coming right off of Charlottesville. So I think if there were going to be a time maybe that Michael – I don't think Michael Bennett's doing that – for Kaepernick's sake. I don't think he's doing that in honor of. That was not an homage. I think given the circumstances in our country and the tumult and in Charlottesville over the weekend, I think Michael Bennett wanted to prove a point. And I think actually his timing was probably pretty perfect. Well, and I also I also think that... And he spoke to it too afterwards. For uh, a while. He, he did. I also think that Ryan Mallett did not set the world on fire in Baltimore. And again, I'll say the Ravens have got... Uh, Kaepernick on their radar screen. That's the team to me that makes the most sense if indeed Ryan Mallett has another bad preseason game. Flacco's apparently not going to play in the preseason now at all. I think that the Ravens t to me are still the team that Kaepernick is intrigued with and mm -hmm. they're a little intrigued with Kaepernick even though they did their due diligence and apparently came away with the decision not to sign him. Alright, we are now joined by Matt Hasselbeck, the NFL analyst, former NFL quarterback. Matt, good to be with you. Thanks for being on Cover 2 Podcast with Don Banks and Nick Stevens. Yeah, my pleasure. This I, is my first time on the podcast. I know, I know. We were talking about how much um, Boston history you have. Of course, 20 years ago right now, Matt, you're getting ready for your senior season at BC, correct? Throw us back yeah, to that time. It, what, what was, the, right? what was the fall um, of 97 like in August for you? <laughs> well, I was probably combing hair still back then. <laughs> But, uh, I wasn't going to go there. <laughs> I chose to go to Boston College because of Tom Coughlin, really. I mean, that was really the big reason. I had uh, sort of committed to UCLA, and Tom Coughlin tricked me into staying home. And uh, I was like, man, I'll do anything for this guy. He's amazing. And uh, I get to BC, and three months later, he's gone. He goes to Jacksonville. So wow. uh, five position coaches and three head coaches later. But that last year, uh, we got a new head coach. Tom O'Brien had come in and replaced Dan Henning. And, uh, you know, I really didn't know if I was going to be the starter. Uh, Tom O'Brien calls me into his office, you know, getting ready that spring season. He's like, listen, I, uh, I don't want to have any family battles, but I'm going to play the best quarterback here. Uh, I heard you're a lot better than your older brother. And, uh, <laughs> you know, if you're better, um, I'm going to play you. And I was like, uh, but I am the older brother. <laughs> it was a really tough to my, uh, what was going to be my fifth year at BC, but uh, yeah, that's where I was. Well, wait a minute. Now, was he really talking about Tim when he thought he yeah, was? Yeah, because Tim, sort of the the bigger recruit. Right. You know, he was he was definitely more successful at Zavarian than I was, and uh, you know there was a buzz about Tim in the building, Awkward. and you know he just came in. We all kind of looked similar, so uh, <laughs> it was an honest mistake. But I kind of knew, like, uh oh. Now, I think Coach O'Brien was so embarrassed by what happened. He didn't really give Tim a chance to, to compete for the job that year. But uh, I'm glad he didn't. I'm glad he waited uh, waited to let me play my fifth year. Awkward. Awkward moment there. Uh, Matt, week one, I love it now. In week one in the preseason now, it's overreaction week, just like we used to get in week one of the regular season. But uh, we don't even have the patience to wait for week one of the regular season anymore before we overreact. However... The quarterback play by the rookie class, I thought was exceptional for a week one in the preseason. Um, I yeah, I agree. And you know, you hear a lot of coaches 
talk about, oh, this new CBA, the rules, get these guys prepared. Dak Prescott played amazing last year. Carson Wentz was the third-string quarterback this time last year. And now you see all these rookies this year, particularly Mitchell Trubisky. I mean, that's the guy that's probably impressed me the most. Uh, these quarterbacks look poised, confident. Um, so I, I, I'll, I'll say, I say that, but here's the other thing I would say. I'm class of 98. That's the draft class. Peyton Manning, Ryan Leaf, and myself, 6'1", 2", and 187, obviously. Sixth uh, round, as I recall, sixth round. <laughs> and and what happened was that first preseason game, I believe it was, Peyton Manning played against Ryan Leaf. And the headlines <laughs> all said the same thing. Leaf outplays Manning. Week one preseason. 38-3, so, to three, I believe, Matt. <laughs> so take take that for what it's worth, and uh, it's, it's very early. That's a wonderful history lesson, and we were just talking about that, because obviously in Chicago they're already saying, well, we have our next Sid Luckman. You know, finally the 50-year quest is over for a quarterback. Slow down. Denver probably wasn't throwing everything in the kitchen sink at Trubisky well, the other you know, night. Sorry to interrupt. You know, the other thing that happens, you'll see a lot of teams that are zone teams. Right. So they're in the regular season, they play a lot of zone. But the scouts, they come down to the coaches and they say, hey, listen, we need to find out about this corner. Like, we need to find out about this linebacker, this thing. And you play man in the preseason so we can get a better look at these guys. So a lot of times, what happens in the preseason, especially when these younger quarterbacks go in, these guys are playing just simple man-free coverage, cover one, and there's really no thinking. They're just out there playing ball like they did in the SEC or the Big Ten or, you know, the Pac-12, whatever it is. And so I think that lends, lends to, you know, some of these young quarterbacks having success and looking pretty good in the preseason, almost because it's played like a, you know, a Pro Bowl or a, uh, you know, it's a preseason game. It's exactly what it is. It's just man coverage. Just, you know, it's like practice almost. And so uh, I think that plays into it a little bit, too. Yeah, you get to see some of these guys working out their basics, and it's it's not really an audition. It's just a little bit of a showcase of things to come. Now, I'd like to hear, Matt, what you think, or who you think, rather, of these rookie quarterbacks may be in the best position to succeed because Watson comes out as national champion, and he's going to be working with Billy O'Brien, and there's a ton of talent in Houston. But I think it may actually be Mahomes who – I'm going to put my money on because he doesn't have to start this year, because he gets to learn under Alex Smith and gets to watch him from the bench, and because he's got someone I believe you're familiar with in Andy Reid teaching him that offense in the quarterback position. Well, I couldn't agree more with you about uh, you know success over the long haul over the career, and, and I don't think it's this year. Uh, I was drafted to the Green Bay Packers. Uh, I had a pro day. Only one team showed up for my pro day. It was the Green Bay Packers quarterback coach, Andy Reid. It was snowing. There was no indoor facility uh, at Boston College at the time. So Andy Reid says to me, hey, you want to go outside and throw? I said, sure, coach. He goes, all right, that was just a test. We're not throwing. So I thought I was never getting drafted. (laughs) I had one person show up for my pro day, and it didn't even work me out. Um, But what I I got to know about Andy Reid, and I was 17 games on their practice squad my rookie year, Andy Reid – can coach quarterbacks and probably the toughest job he ever had coaching a quarterback was coaching Brett Favre I mean this guy would throw amazing touchdowns and even more amazing interceptions and I I when I watch Patrick Mahomes film all I see is Brett Favre like you got this just this wild stallion of a horse that you got to try to tame and if anybody knows how to do it it's Andy Reid now the irony is uh, Patrick Mahomes would be a way better quarterback if he played a lot more like Alex Smith. 
And I think the, the Kansas City Chiefs think, hey, you know what, Alex Smith could take it to the next level if he played more like Patrick Mahomes. Well, how, so what do you mean? Really, what do you mean by that? Well, I just remember being with Brett Favre, and I remember when I, one one drill I was I did a drop back. It was a square out route, and I tried to throw it like Brett throws it. And Mike Holmgren calls me over, and Andy Reid calls me over, and like, what are you doing? And I was like, well, I was just trying something. <laughs> what are you trying? I'm like, well, I saw Brett throw it like that, and they were like, stop, just stop. <laughs> Like they, they said, you actually have better fundamentals and better mechanics than Brett does. You're here in part. We want Brett to play more like you. We don't want you to try to play like Brett. And it just like blew my mind. It was like, what? And Andy was like, listen, Brett's got maybe the worst intangibles. <laughs> Sorry, he's got the best intangibles, but the worst fundamentals. He's got terrible decision making, but incredible talent. It's like we're trying to, you know, we're trying to like reel him in and. You're not helping. So what you're saying, Matt, in short, is they you you were trying to be the gunslinger, and they were saying, we don't want you to be the gunslinger. He's the gunslinger. We want you to use the fun, fundamentals you have, and hopefully it'll rub off on him. It's a weird thing. It's almost like I didn't take it that way. I took it more like this. You're nowhere near as talented as Brett, but you need to do it like everyone else. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I want to ask you, uh, one of the big stories, obviously, last week was the Elliott suspension, and I don't want to get too too far into the weeds on it, but I want to ask you, let's assume, and I think this story has a long way to go, let's assume he does miss these first six games if the worst happens and, and nothing is settled. Do you believe Dallas is still a Super Bowl contender without him until mid-October, or does that change the equation for you? Uh. Well, that's a good question. I really think that's going to be a tougher division than people think this year. And they won a lot of close games last year. They were a really good team. I was on that bandwagon. I was surprised they didn't make it to the Super Bowl. Uh, but they ran into Aaron Rodgers. I, I do think that they're still able to win their division without Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, are they as good? Obviously not. But uh, sometimes when you when you sort of go through a punishment situation, like you can mature and grow up and it's better for the long-term health of you as a person, or in this case for them as a team, like rules matter things like things like this matter. So I think they're going to be okay, but no, I actually am not picking them to win their division this year. I, I think the giants have their number quite a, you know, uh, just a little bit um, in terms of just the matchup. I really like what the giants have done offensively. I also love the, uh, Philadelphia Eagles. I really think that's a team that is going to surprise people this year. So could not uh, agree more with you. I'm on the Giants train too, and I think Dallas takes that step back. Yeah, it, I'm not on the Eagles train. Why? Why the Eagles for you? I'm on the Eagles well, train too. You know, I have spent a lot of time with Carson Wentz in the last 12 months, and I uh, just couldn't be more impressed. And and maybe it goes back a little bit of my bias with the Andy Reid thing. Right. When I was a quarterback with Andy Reid, uh, the quarterbacks were in order: Brett Favre. Doug Peterson was the number two, Rick Meyer, and then myself. And so people always ask me, oh, what'd you learn from Brett Favre? And what'd you learn from Andy Reid? And I learned so much from those guys, Mike Holmgren. But I probably learned more from Doug Peterson. I mean, Doug Peterson, uh, sorry, they're cutting the grass here at ESPN. <laughs> Doug Peterson uh, was just a phenomenal coach as a player. And I just really love how it, with him and Frank Reich, two guys that weren't the most talented quarterbacks ever, but uh, I think they're just really, really good at, 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 at grooming a quarterback. And, uh, you know, it, it's ironic. All the great quarterbacks I've ever been around try to get advice from them. I don't really think I ever got great advice. So, so, like, sitting down with Joe Montana, I'd ask him a question, he'd be like, 
yeah, yeah. I just, I just put it right on him. <laughs> oh, that was the advice? Do you think? They can do uh, it. They can't tell you how to do it. It's funny. So I just really like what they're, they're what they're doing in Philly, and then is, is how they're marrying up the the scheme to offense to defense. So they got Legarrette Blunt, who's going to hold on to the ball a little bit. I think he's actually underrated. I think Patriots fans will see that a little bit this year, and around the goal line in particular. I think Legarrette Blunt's better than people think. Um, but you know that defense of Jim Schwartz in Philly, they're they're that wide nine defense. That uh, like old school Tennessee Titans defense with uh, Javon Curse and those guys—they're not going to play a ton of snaps. And I think the complimentary football, I like the Eagles. Yeah, they bolstered themselves on both sides of the ball. They were an upstart team last year. They were a thorn in the side of the division in a lot of teams. And I think the sky's the limit for them. You got Alshon Jeffrey playing on a one-year deal, looking to get a big-time contract. Uh, and like you said, the blunt factor too—just to be able to have. A horse, I think it makes them uh, a potential playoff team as well. So they're, they're, the Eagles, to me, are kind of an, a sleeper team I'm in on, but there's a lot of hype trains that people are jumping on board, Matt, and I'd be curious to hear which you're on and which you're not on. So the popular ones are obviously Tampa Bay in the NFC. Tennessee. And, and Tennessee and Houston in the AFC. Uh, how, do you, how do you feel about those teams, and you think they're going to live up to the preseason hype? Well, I think Tampa's better than both those teams, but I think they got a tough, tougher path to the playoffs. Agreed. Just simply because of the division. And you talk about Carolina, they're, they're strong. At least, um, you know, they're, they got a chance to be back in the Super Bowl. And then, you know, you're, the other team, oh, by the way, is Drew Brees, who can beat you any, any day he wants to, really. They just got to figure some stuff out defensively. So I would say I really do like Tampa, but uh, they got a tough road. In terms of Tennessee and Houston, uh, you know, that's the easiest division in football right now, in my opinion. And and, and really, it's going to be it'd be really interesting to see. I think the running game of Tennessee is really spectacular. And that's just like a crazy X factor. When you can run the ball, every, every team I've ever been on, every defensive coordinator says the same thing. What's our first goal? To stop the run. If you can't stop Tennessee's running game, then, like, nothing else really matters. And they're creative in how they do it. They're great at trick plays. Um, I do like Tennessee, but having played against Houston and now I've got two quarterbacks that could maybe fill that role, I think if I had to pick today, I might pick uh, I might pick the Houston Texans to win that division. Okay, Matt, we're going to let you go, but I, I'd be remiss. Obviously, your dad, Don Hasselbeck, a Patriots tight end who played at the Rock Pile. You must have, from childhood, at least one good Foxborough Stadium story to share with us. Any memories of the, uh, of the rather... Um, Spartan Stadium that was Foxborough. Well, I got a lot of turf planes on uh, Schaefer Stadium, uh, <laughs> AstroTurf, I will say. I mean, too many. I mean, I just know all my friends growing up they used to make fun of me when I would say Mr. Grogan, Mr. Hanna, Mr. Nelson. Like, why are you calling him Mr.? Uh, but, you know, I do I do recall, like, early on, I think it was maybe one of my dad's first games as a rookie. He's a second-round draft pick. He runs down on a kickoff coverage. My grandparents are in to see the game. It's a big family affair. And I think he gets into a fight. I'm not sure if it was against the Jets or who it was against, but he gets into a fight on the opening kickoff and gets tossed from the game. They ripped his jersey. The police are escorting him out of the stadium. Patriot fans are giving a standing ovation. <laughs> like, yeah, man, yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> but my grandparents were like, really? We came all this way, and you get kicked out on the opening kickoff. Wow. So, uh, yeah, that's a family memory. A highlight or a low light, but uh, – 
not surprising, I guess. It, that was not uh, that was not a creature comfort stadium, but you know what? Uh, the people who survived it seem to have kind of quasi fond memories of the old place. Absolutely. All right, Matt, thanks so much for joining us. Matt Hasselbeck, uh, ESPN NFL analyst and former longtime NFL quarterback. Great to be with you on Cover 2 Podcast. Thanks, guys. Thanks for your time. Thanks for joining us, Matt. I, I knew he would have at least one good rock pile story. That's but, great. Uh, hey, listen, you know what? It was a dump, but it was a dump. Exactly. I think I actually still don't have the right feeling in my right ankle because I went to a game foolishly. I took tickets, I think, back in... 92, it was the second year of Dick McPherson. May he rest in peace. And it was a bad year for the Patriots. And it was one, during the... I it was 1-15. Um, it was Yeah, 2-14. 2-14. He went 6-10 and 2-14 and, and, and previously. And, and that looked good still compared to Rod Rust in his 1-15 right. in That's, 1990. I got confused. And I took free tickets over Christmas break and went down with some friends. And uh, it was during the, uh, the, the sort of like three card Monty of quarterbacks when it was like, hey, any given week, you never know. Are you gonna get uh are you gonna get Zolak? Are you gonna get Scott Seacules? Are you gonna get Tommy Hodson? And uh those benches, you know, aluminum benches, uh just like at Alumni Stadium where Matt used to play, not the most comfortable and no. uh, definitely uh, uh, this just in aluminum conducts. Yeah. So <laughs> if it's cold, I still don't really have feeling in my foot yeah. just for going to that game. Okay, a jam-packed episode on Cover 2 Podcast this week, coming off of week one of the preseason. And week two of the preseason is almost upon us already. All that, Nick, all that. And we didn't get to Red Sox-Yankees. We didn't get to Austin Carr. We didn't Mm. let you gush about your new man crush. We didn't get to Leonard Fournette saying the NFL is easy and slower than he expected. So slow he's not even going to play this week because his foot hurts. But we do have a little special treat for you just as we go out on the Cover 2 podcast. I was talking to none other than Tito Francona, Terry Francona, the former Sox manager out at Fenway yesterday. And i he's not the world's biggest NFL fan, but I asked him to break down uh, what he's looking at for the 20 NFL season as it's upcoming. Now, he's in the middle of a pennant race, so his thoughts were a little limited. But we're going to give you me talking to Mr. Francona about the NFL as we head out of the Cover 2 podcast. You have blinders on right now. It's mid-August, but and I know you're not the NFL fan that Butter is across the way. Give me quick thoughts on this upcoming NFL season. The Pats again are the easy pick, but I also wonder if you're keeping an eye on your brownies at all in town. Well, you got to remember that I grew up in Pittsburgh. Uh-huh. So when you grow up in Pittsburgh, I know it's not a real parochial popular thing to say in Cleveland. Yeah, but I grew up a Steelers fan. Is that where it still starts for you? Well, but but I mean it's hard because you kind of. When you're in baseball, you kind of pay attention wherever you are. Yeah, sure. It's like when I was here, it's hard not to watch the Patriots. And, but, but all those Steelers, you know, with like the Immac- I can remember sitting in my house watching the Immaculate Reception with my dad. That's how my mom got me to go to church, <laughs> was she goes, I'll cook appetizers for you guys After. for the game. Um, you know, I mean, you could pick the Patriots every year. They're, they're going to be there. And the years they don't pick them, they're going to be there anyway. Right. So, I mean, I've always, you know, me and Scott were really close. Yeah. So, I mean, Scott came to see me this spring. Did he? He brought the Falcons coach. Yeah, Dan Quinn. So, I got close to Washington because of Scott, and then because of Scott, I got to meet Bill. And you keep an eye on your Steelers then? Oh, yeah. They need Le'Veon Bell and signed it in camp? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Terry Francona talking a little NFL. I could listen to Tito talk all day long. And listen, it's difficult every time he comes in. 
outmanages Farrell <laughs> and gets another big win for the tribe. He is easily in all of professional sports the player manager person I enjoy most and hate to root against the most. Yeah, I knew we'd He's get great. Our, I knew we'd get our Red Sox rant in at just, the very just, very just end. Just a touch. Just a bit. Another Cover 2 podcast in the books. Thanks for joining us. Nick Stevens, Don Banks, we will be back next week doing it all again. Have a great week two of the preseason. Thank you for downloading the Cover 2 podcast from Patriots.com. Second and goal to go from the two. Toss sweep right for James White. Tucks it under the right arm. Cuts it upfield. Driving forward. It's diving to the goal line. It's still a touchdown. It's still and a title for the Patriots. It. I can't believe it. They have completed the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history. Log on to Patriots.com anytime for more news and more podcasts covering your favorite team and all things NFL.